Mm -hmm. Well, there are not too many people that make it to 102, <laughs> even today. Yeah, and we know we know that we know that she's been declining now for a long time. Those of us that have known her for a long time, but very, very slowly, very, very gradually. And we can pray for Dottie right now. Let's pray, Father. We just come this morning and just rejoice in your greatness and your goodness and, and just lift our sister Dottie before your throne of grace today Lord uh, we know that uh, she is elderly even by today's standards uh, and you have given her Lord a very long life and we just thank you Father for the faith that she has in you that's that's grown we've seen it those of us who've known her, known her have seen her faith in you grow over the years and just pray, Lord, that even where she is now, that you would just give her a great sense of your presence and just bless her and strengthen her and just guide her by your spirit with every passing moment. In Christ we pray. Amen. Okay, we, uh, we wrapped up Romans last, or a couple of weeks ago. There were a few verses I didn't really talk about much, but it really doesn't add much to to our understanding of the overall picture of the book of Romans. So what I've done is, you know, I struggle with where to go now. Unfortunately, what you're stuck with is, is me, is I tend to go to the places that I love the most. We did Romans, why? Because for all kinds of reasons. It's a really great book. It's one that teaches us a lot of theology and et cetera, et cetera. But guess what? It happens to be one of my very favorite books. So you had to suffer through it with me. We're going to Hebrews this morning because it's also one of my most favorite books. And uh, I preached through it a number of years ago. If you've been here uh, for, for, for a long time, you, you realize this, that I have preached through almost all of the New Testament at this point, and we are to the point now that we're going back and redoing things that we've done uh, in the past, and Hebrews happens to be uh, one of those books. And I don't know how much you know about the book of Hebrews. There's some things we don't know about it. We don't know for certain who the author of it is. It's not, it's not given to us anywhere. History, uh, in some places, attest to the possibility that it was the Apostle Paul, you know, that sort of thing. But we really don't know, and it's really like the only book in the New Testament. We're not sure who the author uh, happens to be. But we do know something about the audience to which he writes. As a matter of fact, we know a lot about the audience to which he writes. It becomes very clear that it is a group of Jewish believers, Jews that have converted to Christianity. And for one reason or another, they evidently have been through the fire. They're being persecuted, probably by other Jews, possibly by family members. To the point that they are giving some consideration to giving up the ghost and going back. I don't know that there's anybody in this room that has much Jewish blood in them, if they have any at all. So why in the world would a bunch of Gentiles study this book of Hebrews?
for a lot of reasons. But one of the greatest ones is this, is this book exalts Jesus Christ in a way, in a manner that very few other books in the New Testament do. He brings Christ to the very center of absolutely everything. And he paints a picture of Jesus in the picture of, picture of the ministry of Jesus in a way that no one else, as far as I'm concerned, in the New Testament even comes close to. I promise you this. If you stick with me through this study, you will love the book of Hebrews by the time we get to the end of it. I don't know, maybe some of you have never even given it the time of day. Maybe you've never heard a sermon preached from it. Maybe you've never spent any time reading it or studying it. Maybe you've never had a Bible study on the book of Hebrews. But let me tell you this, by the end, I promise you, your appreciation and your understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for you is going to increase greatly. Besides that, it's one of my favorite books, and so you're just kind of stuck with it. So we're going to start this morning uh, looking at the first chapter. So let me read. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And the, of the angel, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of the kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid uh, the foundation of the earth and the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed but you're the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those 
who are to inherit salvation. We're not going to get through all of that this morning. Maybe not so many verses. God has been speaking since the very beginning of time. We're told that the heavens declare the glory of God. He speaks to us in many ways and in many forms. And he's been doing it from the very beginning. Creation of Adam. Much of what he's spoken, he's spoken through a group of men who are called the prophets, the Nambi. Derived from the Hebrew verb, Nabah, which means to bubble up, or boil over, or boil forth, to pour forth words. Not just words. God's words. That title was first applied to our father Abraham. One through whom God speaks. The Lord's very mouthpiece God's spokesman we need to understand something we're not talking about those that God has called and set apart to speak on his behalf we're talking about those through whose mouth God speaks human vessels that God speaks through And how many prophets did God send forth in the old days? For hundreds of years. Thousands of years. Unfortunately, very often the people did not listen. And so God would send another wave of prophets. And again, the people would not listen. And another wave of prophets. And the people would not listen. That demonstrates something to us, and that is that the office of prophet just doesn't make it. That we must have something that stands above it. Something greater. Which God has given to us. In these last days, he has spoken to us 
by his son. The true, the full, the absolute prophet, priest, and king. The only one sufficient to fulfill any one of those three offices, the only one who is capable of fulfilling all three of those offices. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus' words are God's words. We're told in Colossians 2.9 by the Apostle Paul, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in human form. Jesus, not only human, but Jesus also God himself. Who better able, who better qualified to speak? On God's behalf. Jesus is not merely a conduit through whom God spoke as was true for the other prophets. When Jesus speaks, God himself is speaking. He's the only one that is sufficient to bridge the gap between sinful man and holy God. No one else is. Because he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. If you want to know what God looks like, what he sounds like, what he acts like, look at As we read here, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. God incarnate. In other words, Jesus is the perfect revelation of God in human form. Now I want to challenge you with this idea, and that is we don't want to think of this as, as if Jesus is like a mirror. That's, you know, we, when we look into the mirror that we see the image of God. Because Jesus bears the image of God. He radiates the image of God. His image is not a reflection. His image is the reality. Of God himself.
He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Something that only God can do. Created it, and he sustains it. Everything that exists apart from God exists because the Son has willed it to be. That includes this universe that we live in, the planet that we live on, the place where we live in this world, as well as you and me. We are because he willed that we would be. He brought us into existence and he sustains us in existence. Can you cause anything to be just because you want it to be, just because you will it to be? Anything? Sometimes people are described as being strong-willed or having to have everything their way. Do you know anybody like that? Is there anybody you would describe like that? Is there anybody that maybe would, might describe you like that? For you and I to be strong-willed is probably not a good thing. On the other hand, for God's will to be perfectly done is a very good thing. It's the very best thing. We often pray that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we really believe that? I hope so. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, God the Father. I don't know about you, but typically when I sit down, I sit down because I'm tired. Maybe I just finished mowing the grass, or maybe I just finished preaching, maybe I did this, or maybe I did that. But very often we sit down because we're tired. But we're told here, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We can't understand that he's sitting because he's tired. (laughs) 
He's sitting for a reason, and the reason, I would say, is probably something like this, and that is the major part of his acts of redemption have been completed. His work, in a sense, is done. But it's not because he's tired. It's because he's accomplished what he needed to accomplish. It's done. There's a sense in which when Jesus returned to heaven, to that throne room, that there's a sense in which he has now taken somewhat of a back seat redemptively. He's done his part. And the Father and the Son have sent forth the Holy Spirit to do the acts of redemption. We're not born again by the Father directly or even by the Son, but by the Holy Spirit. We're also spiritually gifted by the Spirit. It is the Spirit that is here that is actively working and ministering among us, within us, around us, and through us. Psalm 110, verse 1 says this, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Do we understand that's part of what's going on right now? That the Son has taken a back seat in a sense and the Father has stepped forth. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is happening as we speak. Souls are being saved with every passing moment. Christ's kingdom is ever growing. And this is primarily the work of the Holy Spirit. Moving among people. So, have I whetted your taste at least just a little bit this morning for the book of Hebrews?
And I hope you remember as we go through here, and who knows how long it's going to take us to do it, maybe a chapter a week, maybe less, that sort of thing. That if we get to the other end of this, and your faith is not deepened, and your understanding of the things of God has not grown, then you can just declare me an utter and absolute failure. Because this book, I promise you, will speak to you in ways that none of the others do. Get ready for a ride. Greater than everything that God, because He is God. To which of the angels did He ever say, You are my Son? Today I have become your Father. going to be participating in the Lord's Supper this morning. Time for us to focus particularly and specially upon our redemption. Obviously, Christ is depicted very clearly in the juice and then the bread, his body and his blood. It's a very special time for us to reflect upon what he has done. But I would challenge us as well that it's time for us to reflect upon what he is doing and, and to look upon the future, understanding that, that he is going to do way more. He's not done. He's building his kingdom with every passing moment. And we're just part of it. But we do this for a lot of reasons. And one of those is this, that it's, there's a sense of bonding with the rest of the church as we do this. Do you understand that? And I'm not just talking about us here in this room. I'm talking about the rest of the body of Christ. How many churches across this world right now are doing the same thing we're about to do? A symbol of our unity in our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not to take this lightly. This is serious business. This is not for people who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But for those who do, this is really good food and really good drink. It feeds our spirit. It feeds our soul. 